Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is February 13th, and on this day in history, in 1741, the American Magazine, the first magazine in the United States, was published in Philadelphia. On this day in 1875, Mrs. Edna Knaus gave birth to America's first quintuplets. All five of the baby boys died within two weeks. Eesh. On this day in 1914, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, known as ASCAP, was formed in New York City. The society was founded to protect the copyrighted musical compositions of its members. On this day in 1920, the National Negro Baseball League was organized. On this day, February 13th, in Flemington, New Jersey, a jury found Bruno Richard Hauptmann guilty of the kidnapping and death of the infant son of Charles and Anne Lindbergh, also known as the Lindbergh Baby. He was later executed for the crimes. On this day, February 13th, in 1960, France detonated its first atomic bomb. Oh, good for them. On this day in 1988, Michael Jackson bought a ranch in Santa Inez, California that he went on to call Neverland. On this day in 1997, astronauts on the Space Shuttle Discovery brought the Hubble Space Telescope aboard for a tune-up. Slow day for history. Okay, on this day, February 13th in 2000, Charles M. Schultz's last original Sunday Peanuts comic strip appeared in newspapers. He had died the day before. And last but not least, on this day, February 13th in 2002, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani received an honorary knighthood from Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> what a mistake she made. Hopefully she, uh, hopefully she sees the error of her ways and took it back. I don't know. Whatever. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows? Perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner. Stay tuned. Well, wasn't that just a lovely musical way to meld into this episode this edition of the next best thing i don't know if whoever listened to the show hopefully you listened last week because we did a whole expose if you will on the best movie music ever ever conceived ever composed ever to hit the screen and i think those shows went really well i was happy with them i felt good about them and we've gotten a lot of really you know positive response i think any response is positive response like I, you know you hear me say in the call-in plug or 
whatever, every week. If you want to call in to say hello or feel you have an item you can contribute, great. Or better yet, just call in to say, you suck. I don't care. Whatever you need to say, go ahead and say it. So I consider all feedback good feedback, which might make me stupid, but you know what? That's just fine. I don't, that, that's fine. Uh, but one complaint that I did see a lot of people, you know, point out, which I have to say, I was pretty impressed by, actually. I was impressed that people noticed this. I was impressed that people caught this. A lot of people were upset that I didn't include Jerry Goldsmith in my list of composers, list of great scores. They love Jerry Goldsmith. They love his work. A lot of people, in particular, talked about Rudy, the score to the movie Rudy. People were mad that that wasn't included, and so there you have it. That song was the main theme from Rudy, and now we can all live our lives happily and peacefully. All right, whatever you were looking for, you found the next best thing. I'm John Lerner, your host right here on Radio Free Brooklyn every Monday night from 10 to midnight. We have a jam-packed show put together for you tonight. We have a lot to make up for, a lot's going on in the news, a lot's going on in the world. Things, as I say sometimes, things are getting worse. I wish that was a joke, but no, things really are getting worse. And so we'll talk about all of that. I hope if there's anything I can do to make you feel better about your life, better about yourself, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for you. I'm here for the people. Before we delve into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, I just want to do a little housekeeping. You can always tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. And, and this is important, whether the show's live on the air or not, you can always go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash NBT Radio. Give us a like, give us a review, see what we've been posting. That's, a, that's really where all the information is. That's really a goldmine of information regarding the show. Now, here's something that I wasn't even aware of until last week. If you love this show, or better yet, if you can stand this show and would like to see this show grow, thrive, continue to exist, we would love it and so very much appreciate it if you went to rfb.nyc nbt. I have to write a jingle for that rfb.nyc slash nbt. That wasn't it. But rfb.nyc slash nbt will take you to our show page on the Radio Free Brooklyn website. If you read through our show page and scroll down, you'll notice there's a button that says sponsor this show. That's amazing. You can decide to make a monthly contribution anywhere from, I think you can go as low as $2 a month, you can go up to more than, you can go up to as much as you want. $100 a month, $500 a month, $2 a month, whatever. We will love you. We will love you the same either way. That's a lie, but you know what? We will love you so much either way. And that's true. And if it tickles your fancy, a phrase that I hate and can't believe I just said on the air, we will give you a shout out, promote whatever your product is, whatever, as often as we can. But truly, if you go to rfb.nyc nbt, that's where you'll find all the info about the show, and that's where you'll be able to make a recurring donation. Okay, that's enough of this crap. Let's really talk about what's going on in the news in the world. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. Well, first and foremost, there's more Judy Garland news. This is this is crazy. We reported a, two weeks ago that Judy Garland's remains have been moved from a cemetery here in New York to a cemetery in Hollywood. Well, Judy Garland is in the news once again. 
Allegedly, here's the headline. Judy Garland was allegedly molested by Wizard of Oz munchkins. Yes, in a uh, posthumous memoir, Judy Garland's ex-husband, Sid Luft, claims that the actress was sexually harassed by the actors who portrayed the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz. Hmm. Alright, so for those of you who don't know a lot about Judy Garland, she played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Sid Luft was her fourth husband? Third or fourth husband. He was also her manager. They had a very kind of tumultuous relationship. They did have two children. This, this, I don't know. This seems a little gossipy to me, and like, how would he have known? They didn't meet until way after The Wizard of Oz. I mean, and she would have told me. All right, he also wrote, he wrote in his memoir, quote, They would make Judy's life miserable on set by putting their hands under her dress. The men were 40 or more years old. Again, how the hell would he know? If there was anyone making Judy Garland's life miserable during The Wizard of Oz filming, it was her mother. She made her whole life miserable, and if you know anything about Judy Garland, you know what I'm talking about. All right, moving right along. I can never tell if this background music is too loud. Okay, great. There it goes. And it's back. Moving right along. Today, it was reported that Jerry Sandusky's son, Jeffrey... Okay, let's give a little... Let's give a little background here. Jerry Sandusky was the, I think, defensive coordinator for the football team at Penn State. He was the one who was exposed to have molested, raped, and sexually abused a whole lot of young boys. Well, now he's in prison. And it came out today that his son, Jeffrey, was has been arrested on child sexual assault charges. Hmm. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Uh, oddly enough, though, this son is adopted. Well, okay. There you have that. Ugh, I don't really know what to say. That whole thing is so... I can't even. I can't even, people. I can't even. So we're going to move right along. Oh, the President of the United States is a joke. Yep. Donald Trump assails Nordstrom for, quote, unfairly dropping his daughter Ivanka's line. <laughs> okay. President Trump lashed out last Wednesday at the Nordstrom department store chain for dropping his daughter Ivanka's accessories and clothing line, once again raising ethical questions about the relationship between his presidency and his family's sprawling business interests. Six days after Nordstrom announced that, based on sales, it would no longer carry Ivanka's products, the president took to Twitter, his favorite communication device, Twitter, the land of the bitter, to complain that, quote, Ivanka's been treated so unfairly by the company. He first posted the message from his personal account and then resend it from his official White House account. What the actual fuck? He's tweeting about his daughter being treated unfairly by Nordstrom because they decided to not sell her stuff because it wasn't selling in the first place. Seriously. Seriously. Seriously? Seriously. Moving right along. Trump to judges. Even a bad high school student would rule in my favor, okay? President Donald Trump harshly criticized arguments against his temporary travel ban last Wednesday, discounting a legal challenge to the order as anti-security and lambasting the federal judicial system that's weighing, that's weighing it as overtly... What? And uh, lambasting the federal judicial system that's weighing it as overtly political. He's saying they are being overtly political by ruling against him because he's a 
12-year-old girl. Seeking to lend his own legal argument for the order banning travel from certain Muslim-majority countries, Trump declared that even a, quote, bad high school student could understand the language and find in his favor. <laughs> also, he also turned to Twitter to attack one of the, quote, so-called judges. Yeah, he told people that, oh, yes, he went to Twitter to announce to the world that if any acts of violence and or terrorism take place over the next few days and weeks, they should, quote, blame him and the courts. This is the sitting president of the United States. Is it unbelievable? It's unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. All this crap about pivoting and becoming presidential if he actually took the office, that is not happening. I don't know whoever really thought that was going to happen. It's not going to happen. Obviously, it has not happened. Moving right along here, speaking of worthless sacks of shit, there were three federal appellate court judges who were not worthless sacks of shit. They refused to reinstate the travel ban, dealing Trump another legal loss. Yes, that's right, folks. Something to be happy about. A federal appeals panel on Thursday, last Thursday, unanimously rejected President Trump's bid to reinstate his ban on travel into the United States from seven largely Muslim nations. The three-judge panel, suggesting that the ban did not advance national security, said the administration had shown, quote, no evidence that anyone from the seven nations had committed terrorist acts in the United States. The ruling also rejected Mr. Trump's dumbass claim that courts are powerless to review a president's national security assessments. Judges have a crucial role to play in a constitutional democracy, the court said. Yes, the court did say that. And how did Trump react? Well, I'm sure he was very mature. He took it like a man and he reacted respectfully. Okay, come on. Who are we kidding here? Okay, hold the, hold the phone. Moving along, Stephen Miller. Have you ever heard of Stephen Miller? No. Because until today, or excuse me, until yesterday, I had not. And my guess is you probably haven't either. Stephen Miller, apparently Trump's chief policy advisor, went ballistic on various Sunday talk shows yesterday, defending both Trump and the travel ban and his tendency to make stuff up, pull things out of his ass. This guy has no advanced experience crafting policies. I have no idea where he came from. All I know is that I read an article today, well-cited, well-referenced, well-sourced, saying that he was very, very much a bigot back in college. Now, that's that's a, that's a um, ad hominem attack, I suppose. But listen for yourself how he acted on national television. This is Stephen Miller, again, Donald Trump's chief policy advisor. And this is, this is a collage. He went on, you know, all the Sunday talk shows. Meet the Press, Face the Nation, uh, Fox News Sunday, among others. Here he is. See what you think. Do you feel like you and your staff there that you're in control of events at the White House? I think to say that we're in control would be a substantial understatement. We have equal branches of government in this country. The judiciary is not supreme. There's no such thing as judicial supremacy. Mm -hmm. What the judges did, both at the ninth and at the district level, was to take power for themselves that belonged squarely in the hands of the President of the United States. Stephen, the three judges say you're flat wrong. No, the three judges made a broad, overreaching statement. This is an ideological disagreement between those who believe we should have borders and should have controls, and those who believe there should be no borders and no controls. This is a judicial usurpation of power. The end result of this, though, is that our opponents 
the media and the whole world will soon see as we begin to take further actions that the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. And the bottom line is the president's powers in this area represent the apex of executive authority. We will have unquestioned military strength beyond anything anybody can imagine. We have a president who has done more in three weeks than most presidents have done in an entire administration. Saying that we stand with our ally, having the two men appear on camera worldwide to all of planet Earth was a statement that will be understood very well by North Korea. I'm not going to make a comment on that. I don't have any information on it. I do want to say that Sean Spicer, as always, is 100% correct and that what he said is true and important, and I agree with it. So then you are making a comment on it. I'm not going to make any new comment. It is a fact, and you will not deny it, that there are massive numbers of non-citizens in this country who are registered to vote. That is a scandal. We should stop the presses. That's the story we should be talking about. And I'm prepared to go on any show, anywhere, anytime, and repeat it and say the President of the United States is correct 100%. That's a White House advisor, right? Oh, my God. It's not even funny. You can't even... Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry, I had to play that little bit at the end. So the original, that clip, those clips, were played on Morning Joe on MSNBC, and I had to just play their honest reactions. Listen again. Oh my God. God. It's not even funny. You can't even... Oh my God. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Oh my God. What what are we going to do? Oh my God. Yeah, well, it is pretty jarring to hear an act. This isn't an SNL sketch, and it's not in some, you know, again, this guy said, he talks about on planet Earth. Everyone in the world will see. I mean, what? Who, what the hell are we talking about here? I mean, is he, he's talking like some, I would say villain in a Batman movie, but he's too, you got to see this guy. Maybe he's the sidekick to a villain in a Batman movie. But again, he's a chief policy advisor talking about how the president is not to be questioned. He never, I don't know what this guy studied but he never studied the federalist papers he doesn't know about the separation of powers he said that the judiciary the judges have no place in telling our president what he can and can't do no that's that's actually exactly what they're supposed to do that's really kind of their whole job dumbass and i just i can't believe that's real I, really, I mean, seriously, listen again to just a few of these things. This is an ideological disagreement between those... An ideological. ...who believe we should have borders and should have controls. We should have borders and... Sh- who the hell? I've yet to hear any advocate go on television and say, I don't think we should have borders. ...and those who believe there should be no borders and no controls. This is a judicial usurpation of power. The end result of this, though, is that our opponents, the media... And the whole world will soon see, as we begin to take further actions, that the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, so he was rightfully kind of taken to task for that. But you know what? Once again, what's it going to do? What's it going to do? What's it going to do? I don't think it's going to do anything because we've just gotten so used used to crazy crazy stuff so moving on for now moving on for now all right also in the news ice confirms over 680 arrests nationwide in the first full week of february 
ICE. If you don't know, that stands for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They have arrested a total of 41 people right here in New York City, in the New York City metropolitan area, during the first full week of February, according to a press release today, Monday afternoon. Of that total, 38 people had prior criminal convictions. Three had no criminal records. Now, it's important to make a distinction. When you say they had prior criminal convictions, that doesn't necessarily mean they robbed a bank or killed someone or were dealing drugs. It doesn't say what the convictions were. It doesn't even say what the level of charges were. It could have been a misdemeanor. It could have been an unpaid parking ticket. But we don't, we're not privy to that information. All we know is that 38 of the 41 had criminal records, which begs the question, wait a minute, three had no criminal records and they were, they were arrested? For what? For what? I don't know. You tell me. ICE also confirmed operations across the country last week in the Los Angeles area, Atlanta, Chicago, and San Antonio, in addition to New York. In total, the agency said that, quote, more than 680 arrests were made. Of that total, quote, approximately 75% had criminal convictions. By that calculation, roughly 170 individuals did not have any criminal convictions, and they were still arrested and as far as we know, deported. Now, that goes against a lot of what we were told in the first week of February. In the first week of February, it was leaked that over 100 arrests had been made, and a high-ranking official for ICE spoke out and said, that is a gross exaggeration. Really? Well, it turns out, oh no, that was a gross understatement. 680 arrests have been made, and as far as we know, Almost 200 of them had no criminal record. What? Seriously, though, I can't even... This is... And this is what's happening. I know a lot of people... There was a story on a lot of news networks about a woman who had been checking in with uh, immigration regularly, whenever they wanted her to. She lived in Arizona. She was here illegally, technically. But she was on top of her checking in with the uh, immigration, doing everything she was supposed to do so that she could stay here with her family, keep working, and whatnot. Recently, she went to check in with her uh, liaison, her immigration liaison, and they threw handcuffs on her and she was deported. She's like 36 years old, she has a family here, and they just threw her out of the country. This is what's happening. This is These are real people. These are real people. It's just amazing to me. Yeah. All right, moving along. See, I told you there's a lot going on in the news, a lot going on in the world right now. Kellyanne Conway also is in trouble this week because she promoted Ivanka Trump's brand, Raising Ethics Concerns. Oh, weird. Ethics concerns with this administration? No, no way. Kellyanne Conway violated federal ethics rules last Thursday by urging people to buy fashion products marked by or marketed by Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter legal experts say, quote, go buy Ivanka's stuff. That's what I would say, Miss Conway, counselor to the president, said in an interview with Fox News. I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can get it online. She did that. She did that. What a dumbass. Federal ethics rules state that an employee of the government's executive branch, quote, shall not use his or her public office for their own private gain for the endorsement of any product, service, or enterprise, or for the private gain of friends, relatives, or persons with whom the employee is affiliated in a non-governmental capacity. Kellyanne Conway. Um, 
Let's talk about Kellyanne Conway, shall we? We have before. We're going to do it right now. Kellyanne Conway, so she, we, once this was brought to the attention of the world, she disappeared for about six hours, and Sean Spicer was asked about it, and he said, she's been counseled, and that's all we're going to say. And that was it. Next thing you know, she's back on television, and when someone asks her about it, she says, Look, all I can say is that I just hope that women out there are lucky enough to have a boss like the president, okay? That's all I'm going to say. What does that have to do with anything? First of all, how did this become about women? You broke the ethics rules. I mean, this was a federal ethics violation, you piece of dog shit. Well, Kellyanne Conway, as we've learned, has a great way of dodging any real questions and... She can talk, 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 talk without ever saying anything. Well, Jake Tapper of CNN finally called her out for her bullshit. This is a very long interview, and we won't listen to the whole thing. I'll chime in every now and then, but it's important for people to hear, because this is what it sounds like when someone finally stops her to say, excuse me, whatever you just said is nonsense. Here's my question. Here's what it sounds like when someone calls her on her bullshit. Kellyanne, thanks for joining me. I want to play that clip again in which President Trump yesterday was talking about media coverage of terrorist attacks. Let's roll the tape. You've seen what happened in Paris and Nice. All over Europe, it's happening. It's gotten to a point where it's not even being reported. And in many cases, the very, very dishonest press doesn't want to report it. They have their reasons, and you understand that. After he said that, the White House released a list of the attacks that he was supposedly referring to as, in his words, not even being reported. I want to put up some footage uh, of CNN reporters covering the attacks on that list. I spent two weeks in Paris in 2015 reporting on the attacks. We also see on the screen dozens of my colleagues, uh, Allison Camerata covering the bombings in Brussels, Chris Cuomo uh, and Anderson Cooper reporting on the supermarket attack in Paris, Brooke Baldwin covering the attack in Nice, Victor Blackwell reporting on the shootings in San Bernardino. Kellyanne, CNN and other media organizations cover terrorism around the world all the time. Saying that we don't cover terrorism, that's just false. What the president is saying there, Jake, is that there are other attacks that don't get as much coverage. Obviously, the very sad incidents that you've related were, frankly, CNN did amazing coverage for weeks at a time. I saw you all there on the ground um, doing that and telling the human interest stories and the tragic stories and, frankly, the involvement of the terrorists in those brutal attacks. Those get coverage. The other ones on the list, not so much. I think his point is twofold. Those ones One, were on the list, but the ones I just right. recited for you were on the list. Absolutely. Oh, no, and I'm saying the ones that have high casualties like Nice and Brussels and certainly Paris and the like, those are covered extensively by all media outlets as well they should be. It's the other ones on the list. I think he's making two points here. One is that we just can't allow ourselves to become in your... Do you like this dance? This is a fun little dance, right? She's dancing, dancing, dancing. Oh, boy. ...to terrorist attacks, to see it as the new normal. Um, and so if we're not covering all of the you know, many different attacks and that they're all ISIL-inspired attacks, in this case, the ones that he was referring to in the list that was generated, as I understand, Jake, then we don't want to, we don't, we want people to realize that then that's what leads him to want extreme vetting from seven narrowly prescribed countries in a very temporary way. Number two, the point that he is making is, according to the Tyndall Report and other sources, we have inordinate coverage on 
on uh, on President on excuse me uh, candidate Trump during the Republican primary. Three hundred and thirty three minutes on him, and really, I mean, five times as much coverage on him as these terrorist attacks, and and frankly, more coverage by the major networks at the very least on Prince's death. The Seriously, what the hell is she talking about? The artist named Prince. Tyndall then covers the, then the, evening, the three network evening news broadcasts. Well, that's, that's right. They do. The, that's not reflective. No, of the I understand. Media. But I'm trying to tell you. You're asking me why he said this, and I'm I'm responding well, to the question. Your spin the, about the idea that we don't want to be inured to that. That's that's a lovely spin. But that's not what he was saying, Kellyanne. He was saying the media does not cover these stories because we don't want to cover them because we have some sort of agenda. That's what he was suggesting, and it's offensive given the fact that CNN and other media organizations have reporters in danger right now in war zones covering ISIS. And I just don't understand how the president can make an attack like that. There's, there's no question about that. Well, first of all, I want to tell you, I don't intend it as spin. I'm crediting the cat coverage that CNN and your colleagues across the media gave to these um, high-profile and high-casualty, very sad, very vicious attacks. They're on the list of undercovered attacks. Uh, as were dozens and dozens of others. But I do know what the president's point was because I've discussed it with him directly. As were dozens and dozens of others. Okay, well, we're talking about these ones, you little piece of dog shit. And it's that we we need to make sure that people understand that what was stated by Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton... Hold on. Stop right there. What the hell does my girl Hillary have to do with any of this? Why was her name invoked? She is flailing like I've never seen of undercovered attacks as were dozens and dozens of others but I do know what the president's point was because I've discussed it with him directly and it's that we we need to make sure that people understand that what was stated by Hillary Clinton Secretary Clinton in her convention speech these are our determined enemies is a really light way of referring to radical Islamic terrorism. He's willing to name it. And it was a big piece of his campaign. And frankly, Jake, if you look at the polls, including CNN's polls, national security and terrorism were important issues to many Americans. He made it a point to show real distinction there. And he wants to show a point as president in the real distinction because there seems to be some coverage these days, maybe not here, but definitely elsewhere, that somehow terrorism is not is not a big problem or somehow national security is all... You know, is all taken care uh, of, and that's just uh, not true. And I think when you're talking about his extreme vetting... Uh, okay. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, I don't, hard copy? Where the hell has she ever heard anyone say, listen, you know, you know, terrorism's not even a problem. She's just making stuff up, and frankly, she usually does a better job at making it sound a little more coherent. He is making the point that that is in response to the threat of terrorism globally. I don't... I don't know who is making the case that terrorism is not a serious problem, though I do appreciate your citing a, a CNN poll. Uh, President Trump was clearly saying that the media does not cover terrorist attacks that we clearly cover, and he was saying we don't do it because we don't want to do it and because we have some sort of ulterior motive in that. That's not what you're saying right now, but that is what he's saying. But while we're on the subject of not addressing a terrorist attack, I want to ask you, in Quebec City last week, a white right-wing terrorist opened fire on a mosque, a mosque filled with innocent men, women, and children. Six people were killed. President Trump has not said or tweeted one public word about this. You want to talk about ignoring terrorism? Why hasn't the president offered his sympathy to our neighbors in the north? I know he's sympathetic to any loss of life. Um, it's, in, it's completely senseless, and it needs to stop regardless of who is lodging the attack. Uh, we, we, of course, are very sad about loss of life here. And, uh, and he is talking about trying to stop 
terrorism and people want to do harm to this country. And I'm, I'm sure in the I think it's important to point out what's going on here. Jake Tapper is pointing out an incident of terrorism, real terrorism that took place in Canada. It was committed by a non-Muslim and therefore went completely unmentioned by the Trump administration. Talk about ignoring acts of terrorism. Let's, let's keep going. To our neighbors in the north. I know he's sympathetic to any loss of life. Well, clearly not. Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I have to go back a little further because I want to hear this whole exchange. I shouldn't have stopped it. But listen to what Killian says later when trying to, you know, brush off the fact that he didn't make a comment about it. Because we have some sort of ulterior motive in that. That's not what you're saying right now, but that is what he's saying. But while we're on the subject of not addressing a terrorist attack, I want to ask you, in Quebec City last week, a white right-wing terrorist opened fire on a mosque, a mosque filled with innocent men, women, and children. Six people were killed. President Trump has not said or tweeted one public word about this. You want to talk about ignoring terrorism? Why hasn't the president offered his sympathy to our neighbors in the north? I know he's sympathetic to any loss of life. Um, it's, in, it's completely senseless, and it needs to stop regardless of who is lodging the attack. Uh, we, we, of course, are very sad about loss of life here. And, uh, and he is talking about trying to stop terrorism and people want to do harm to this country. And I'm, I'm sure in the case of uh, our neighbors to the north, I'm glad that the prime minister of, of Canada is coming here next year, uh, next week, excuse me, I'm sure they'll talk about that if, if he's coming soon, as I understand. But the fact is that he, I will ask him, he doesn't tweet about everything. He doesn't make a comment about everything. But Whoa. There it is. He doesn't tweet about everything. He doesn't make a comment about everything. Oh, no. Actually, I think he does. He certainly tweets about anything he gives a shit about. And hey, fact is, that's usually some slight, some perceived slight or something going on in pop culture, pop culture. But he does. He tweets about damn near almost everything. He didn't tweet about this because he didn't really care. But I can tell you that the entire point that I do think has been misinterpreted uh, many places about why he wants extreme vetting, in this case temporary and through seven very narrowly prescribed countries that the Obama administration, President Obama's administration and Congress thought needed more, quote, serious screening. Mm -hmm. He is doing that in response to what he sees and he hears in his briefings as the advance and the continued threat of terrorist acts, not unlike the one that you're citing um, to our friends in the North. And of course, um, put, put us on record as always being sad uh, about this as a senseless loss of life. He tweeted when there was that attack at the Louvre Museum where nobody was killed. I don't understand why he wouldn't tweet when six Canadian citizens uh, were murdered, except for the fact that the un undercover document that the White House distributed the other day, uh, last night rather, uh, also did not mention any attacks other than those committed by Muslim terrorists. And obviously radical Islamic terrorism is a big problem, but there are all sorts of kinds of horrific terrorism that take place. We yes. saw some of that uh, in uh, South Carolina recently. And I guess the question is, are these victims any less dead than the ones killed by Islamic radical terrorists? No, not at all. And of course, Jake, you're right. If you look back at Orlando, Omar Mateen was born in this country. And that was an incredible, unspeakable tragedy. 49 innocent lives taken at the Pulse nightclub. But I'm glad that we're all at least in agreement it seems that this is an issue that will continue that this president says and whether it's the lawsuits currently pending the hearing tonight or really litigation on the merits ultimately that he believes his executive order 
is not just within his authority, but also his duty and responsibility to do what he sees best to try to protect the lives and the safety of, of Americans. It's temporary. It's narrowly prescribed. There are some 43 or more countries that are mm -hmm. majority Muslim that are not on the list. Um, and, and this is a list that was put to, put forth first by, no, the, previous by the Obama administration, administration and Congress. Well, Absolutely. Only because they thought that you needed, you know, you know, quote, I think it was, quote, you know, stricter screening or something. Right. Of the words but they didn't, they didn't say shut down immigration from those countries. They just said that needed stricter screening and they put strict, stricter screening measures in, into place. I guess what I'm getting at here is there is a larger campaign being waged by President Trump and by the White House uh, to undermine the credibility of everybody in the news media except for certain supportive outlets. And uh, for instance, earlier today, President Trump made a quote uh, about the murder rate being at the highest level it's ever been in 47 years. He said that and he said nobody in the media reports on that. There's a reason that nobody in the media reports on that. It's not true. The murder rate is not at the highest rate it's been in 47 years. It spiked a little, it went up a little, but it's still much, much lower. It's a, it's a 4.9 people per 100,000. That's dwarfed by the murder rates in the 1990s and before that in the 1980s. Facts are stubborn things. And to say that we're not reporting something that happens not to be true, therefore we're not to be trusted, that's a problem. Well, Jake, if I can take the broader issue of our relationship with the media, I mean, I'm among, if not the most open press person in the White House. I'm now being attacked by the media, including networks that are familiar to you. And I'm just going to keep soldiering on. I mean, I came to this White House. Yes, Kellyanne, you are so brilliant. You are so strong. You are so resilient. Give me a flipping break. I'm is it, okay. Even Trump supporters have to be getting to the point where they are sick of hearing all of this whiny little bitchiness. I mean, it's like, oh, the media is so awful to us. They don't report everything. It's right. They're so negative. And, you know, Donald Trump is the president and he's going to do anyone. I mean, seriously, if I was interviewing one of these whiny little bitches, I would just want to be like, excuse me, slap across the face. Now you shut the hell up. You shut the hell up. To serve this president who's serving people. I have in my portfolio here veterans. I have women and children. I have opiate use. And we're working on all of that. I sat in on the, the sheriff's roundtable today. I sat in on the veterans affairs. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. His question was about Donald Trump's weird immature infatuation with the media and how they're all against him. What is she talking about? Her portfolio? And, and I know that that's something near and dear to your heart because I see you often give voice and visibility, lend I your do. considerable platform to our fallen soldiers and to our brave men and women in uniform. On that, we agree. And if we can find areas of agreement, give me a call because I sat in on that. I had sat, I had sat in on it. Excuse me. If we can find areas of agreement, give me a call. Kelly Ann and all of you Trump pieces of dog shit, you don't get to decide what you're asked about. You don't get to pick and choose what topics are brought up. If we can find things that we agree about, great, call me, we'll talk. No, that's not how news is supposed to work. That's not how journalists are supposed to do their job. And frankly, the media has a lot to, you know, has a lot to be blamed for, frankly over these past number of months. But when it comes to asking obvious questions, grow a pair of balls.
On a similar meeting in Mar-a-Lago over the holidays, a working session, we had some of the top minds, the top minds and leaders in healthcare here to the White House today, so they can advise specifically on Veterans Affairs you're, issues. You're not, not a single person there said, oh, you know, President Obama didn't care. Nobody said that. It was basically, how do we move forward so that the structure is better, the responsiveness is better? I can't imagine anybody disagrees with President Trump when he says, if we don't take care of our veterans, who are we really as a nation? So if we can find not, areas of agreement. not addressing what I just talked about. What, what we're talking talking about is the fact that the White House is waging war on people who are providing information, sometimes risking their lives to do so, saying that nothing we say is true. All of it is fake. I would much rather be talking to you about veterans' issues. In fact, I would, when it comes to the Trump administration, I would be much rather covering immigration, I would much rather be covering trade, and I would much rather be covering uh, draining the swamp and counterterrorism. But instead, every day, there are these sprays of attack and sprays of falsehoods coming from the White House. It would be better if they were not covering from the White House for me and for you. Uh, agreed. And let me just say it has to go both ways. I mean, I, I do, Jake. I, I It has to go both ways. What the hell are you talking about? Sincerely don't see a lot of difference in coverage from when he was a candidate. See, here we go again. It's unfair the way you guys cover him. It's so negative. Oh, my God. Like, what? This is not the middle school gazette. And when he became the Republican nominee, the president-elect, and indeed the president, some outlets, some people, are cover him the same way, and it doesn't have a great deal of respect, I think, for the office of the president's current occupant. All I would say is, you know, bias coverage, people talk about that. I think bias is easy to detect, and it's really in the eye of the beholder. What I would, what I would um, put an olive branch out to you and your network is, how about more complete coverage? In other words, he's issued 20 or 21 exam Again, it's like... Ah, oh, negotiating. It's like this. This sounds to me like some kind of weird stage mother trying to negotiate with the drama teacher about what solos or what parts their child can or can't get because of one reason or another. It's like, what? What is going on here? Executive action since he took office, and it seems like we're covering one of them most days. I would love to talk to you one about the human impact of caused, opening up the Dakota and Keystone pipelines, of taking this. It caused these tremendous chaos and confusion at airports all around the world. Uh, there's now a, a court case with your Justice Department. It's probably going to take it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Of but, course, it's a huge story. No, it is, but there are other stories. I'm just trying to, again, reach out and say. When we start doing opiate use, you know, in a very meaningful way, along with the legislature's law enforcement, the governors, talk about a bipartisan, if not nonpartisan issue, the veterans, then I really feel like, you know, my big comment is that this White House... Listen, I would love to play the rest of this interview and do my little commentary, but the fact of the matter is, this is, she is dancing like we've never seen her dance before. And while I'm... I'm very glad that Jake Tapper did call her out on a lot of this bullshit. The fact is, she has kind of navigated interviews this way since the very beginning. The only difference is, now, she's kind of running out of ways to make what's going on sound legit. To make it sound sane. And so, because we have other things we need to cover tonight and get on to our main story, here is a much better, much clearer explanation of what exactly is going on here what happens when we sit through a conway interview all right 
This is Kellyanne Conway. She's Trump's campaign manager turned senior White House advisor. And a big part of her job for the past eight months has been defending Trump in TV interviews. There is no den she will not go into. That may sound like the hardest job in the world, but Conway is ridiculously good at dodging tough questions. And it drives her interviewers crazy. Kellyanne, that's not what but I asked. You're trying to distract from my question. You're answering the question I'm not asking. The question is... The question is... So... How does she do it? What makes Kellyanne Conway such a nightmare to interview? Last December, ABC's George Stephanopoulos asked Conway a very simple question. Why does Trump falsely claim that voter fraud costs him the popular vote? That claim is groundless. Isn't it irresponsible for a president-elect to make false statements like that? Watch how Conway answers. I think it's groundless for talk about fake news. The fake news is that somehow the popular vote is more important than the electoral college vote now. You catch that? Instead of answering, Conway goes in a totally different direction. Stephanopoulos tries again. No one is questioning the victory. I said, is it appropriate, is it responsible for a president-elect to make false statements like that? And again, Conway dodges. Well, well, first, many people are questioning the victory. You've got people spending millions of dollars wasting m money and time in the Clinton and Stein camps. It's so frustrating. It's like watching someone try to staple jello to a wall. I needed to talk to an expert, someone who had truly mastered the dark arts of verbal combat. Hey, Carlos. This is Seth Gannon, and at first glance, he might seem like a sweet, unassuming guy, but he's actually one of the most talented debaters in the country. You are true to form, far too kind. He won the national debate tournament, the Super Bowl of competitive college debate, as a junior in 2008, and he made it to the finals again the next year. Here he is celebrating his big win, and here I am still being a virgin in college. I was a late bloomer. Now Seth is a debate and public speaking coach, a professional smooth talker. So have you watched a lot of Kellyanne Conway interviews? <laughs> as much as I can stand. Fair. What is her secret? With any question, she is looking for an opening to take it somewhere else, especially if she can paint the administration as the victim. She's listening for concepts that she can latch onto and go on offense. This is Conway's bread and butter. She hears a keyword or concept she can use, repeats it to sound like she's answering the question, and then introduces a total non sequitur to trip up the host. It's like really bad improv. Watch what Conway does when Chuck Todd backs her into a corner about the size of Trump's inauguration crowd. Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. Chuck, do you think it's a fact or not that millions of people have lost their, their plans, their health insurance, and their doctors under President Obama? Do you think it's a fact that everything we heard... Oof, Conway. She's not actually answering Todd's question at all, but because she repeats his word, it kind of sounds like she is. Here's another one. You don't know what his finances are because you haven't seen his tax returns either, so you don't know who's well, giving here, him here's money. What I do How now. do you know the government of Qatar here's, hasn't given him a million dollars? Here's what I do know. I know we've got the Democrats on the run running around to blue states like did she wink did she seriously wink conway seth says conway is essentially preying on an interviewer's natural impulse to be polite for the interviewer to insist again and again on the original question and to ignore 90 percent of what she said in the meantime is rude stop this catch and release stop the sanctuary cities now, if i can just interrupt because and i hate to do that but i, I have a number of things i want to ask you about she trusts that they're going to move on to their next topic rather than ask the same question over and over when conway does have her tangents cut short she has another trick 
passing the buck. Conway doesn't actually make policy in Trump's White House, so she often gets to sidestep tough questions by saying, I don't know. I have not been in those briefings. No, I haven't discussed this with him. You don't have to ask him. And when that fails, when Conway is really up against the wall, she has one last trick, make something up. She doesn't seem to let facts or even other administration statements stand in her way. She has this postmodern quality where words and statements that you may have heard and knew exactly what they meant, well, Kellyanne Conway has a very different interpretation of those same words. She often reinvents Trump's positions into more defensible versions of themselves. After Trump spent weeks falsely claiming in plain language that there was widespread voter fraud, Conway went on TV and said he was actually talking about voter registration fraud, something very different. I will tell you that what the president is talking about is registration and voter rolls. These registration rolls are a hot mess. But that is uh, not voter fraud. No, 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 but this is what the president was talking about. He's talking about registration and rolls. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's what Conway wishes he was talking about. <laughs> Jesus. And this gets to the fundamental problem with trying to interview Kellyanne Conway. The point of interviewing administration officials is to get clarity about what the president is doing or at least believes. But Conway interviews do neither. Once she has decided not to give meaningful answers to questions, there is no way to have a successful interview by traditional measures. There are only gradations of failure, only gradations of the non-answers you're receiving. She is so good at dodging questions and tripping up hosts that you're likely to end up more confused and less informed at the end of one of her interviews than you were at the beginning. Conway is a master of deflection, but inviting her to wreak havoc on national TV doesn't actually help audiences better understand what's going on in their government. So the next time you find yourself yelling at your TV during a Kellyanne Conway interview, just remember, she's doing her job. It's the new shows that keep booking her that are letting you down. I actually think anybody could do the Conway misdirection thing if they really put their mind to it. Yeah, you think you could do it? Yeah, ask me a tough question. Why were you a virgin in college? Did my mom watch this? All right, so there you have it. If you needed it explained, that's what happens. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Jonathan B. Lerner, your host every Monday night, and we will be right back.